I'll tell teachers all the time, what is your motivation behind doing this? Is it just so the kid is obedient and subservient and they're making you happy? Or do you want this skill to turn into, they? it works in your class, in the next teacher's class, when they're in seventh grade and 12th grade, when they're 32 years old and they're leading their own family. So what we want to do is, is help them look at things more introspectively and say, okay, how can I take this, learn from and become a better person because of my work here? This is the last call for any man interested in joining the private sacred hunting trip I've organized out in Austin, Texas, February 29th through March 3rd. This is an incredible, rare experience where you're going to be a part of a small group of men going through rites of passage, going through initiation experiences through the lens of hunting in a sacred way. There's a sweat lodge involved and other rituals that are incredibly special. If you're interested in learning more, go ahead and click the link in the show notes and you'll find out more information on how to apply for this special sacred hunting trip happening at the end of February. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. Today on the show, we welcome Dennis Moralda. Now, Dennis runs the podcast and organization called Building Men. He is doing some incredible work with today's young boys and giving them real life tools that they can utilize real time to navigate the challenges that they're experiencing, whether it's in elementary school, middle school, high school, and take those skills to support them as they grow and evolve into men. I've been a guest multiple times on his podcast, and we always have a great time together. And I appreciate the levity as well as the depth of vulnerability that he brings in today's show. He's a father, once again, he runs Building Men, and he has the experience of being a middle school principal. So get ready. Today's podcast is going to apply to all parents, but especially those with young boys. Let's get into it. All right. So you were saying right now you're about to do what this mid-year check-in with the schools that you're visiting. Is that right? Yeah, I just did a mid-year check-in with a couple of the schools that I'm currently working with doing Building Men. I go there once a month, do a full day working with boys in middle school and in high school. So I did a mid-year check-in yesterday. And this is in a, in a school where last year they had a suicide. They had a lot of issues with mental health, with young men especially, and a ton of disciplinary incidents, like off the charts, discipline with the boys in the school, which is one of the reasons that they brought me in this year. And the beginning of the year, Mike, when I first met these boys, they didn't know why they were a part of this Building Men program. Some of the kids volunteered. The other ones were voluntold. They're like, all right, you're going to be a part of this. The school district administration reached out to the parents that were struggling with their sons. And so in the very beginning of the school year, these boys came into this into these meetings that we would have. And there were about 20, 25 boys in a meeting and giving me these dirty looks like, who is this big white dude here trying to tell me about being a man. I know more about being a man than you do. Where there was like a lot of pushback, a lot of this negative energy that I was feeling. And right off the bat, needed to set the stage for like, okay, first of all, you don't need to be here. I'm not telling you you have to be here. This is a privilege to be here. So if you don't want to be here, you can certainly go back to class 100%. But what I will tell you, I promise you, if you come here and you invest in what we're 
what we're talking about. You lean into these discussions. You give it a shot. Your life will be better at the end of this year. And then if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll, I will apologize to you for wasting your time, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Well, anyway, mid-year touch base time. We had a, a large group meeting with all the stakeholders in the school district and the results as the assistant superintendent was talking. And I didn't know this until this meeting was happening. She says, not only has the school culture changed where teachers are now wanting to be a part of things that are going on because there's less behavior problems with the kids. The kids are more willing to discuss things that are going on in the classroom. The suspension rate of the boys that have been a part of the Building Men program for five months, which means I've seen them five times, the suspension rate has dropped 50%. I heard wow. that, dude, and I was like, I got choked up. I, I, I immediately, and I'm now I'm on a Zoom and I have to present about this program and the successes. And there are tears in my eyes thinking about the, the impact that this has had on these kids. A lot of them are, are kids that don't have a male role model in their life. A lot of them don't have a father figure in their life. And after five times touch points with these kids, it's changing what's, what's going on in these boys' lives. So I was totally in awe. And um, one of these moments that I won't forget, it was that, that little, that pivotal point that we saw this big change with these kids. Man, fuck, way to go. <laughs> First and foremost, man, want to celebrate that. And go back to something that you said, like, you know, I, I can see how that initial, like how you set the tone is so important going in to speak to these young men. And so you have your intro kind of spiel, you know, yeah. they don't need to be there. They can go back to class. What else have you seen or experienced? Like, how do you create connection with these young men when they're like, yeah, who is this dude coming yep. in? I don't like building men. What is this? So what have you found successful to overcome resistance and create connection with some of these boys? Well, I love that you even mentioned resistance because I call resistance one of the three thieves. The three thieves that we talk about are resistance, distraction, and victimhood. Those are the three things that get in the way of young men's success. So right off the bat, and it, it's a good segue into where Building Men even came from. What I lead with, Mike, is I tell the boys a really vulnerable story. I lead with a story. Again, we're enlifted guys. So we know the power of our words. So I lead with a story. And what I do is I take them back in time to, it's actually 1989. Well, I take them back to a point when I was a sixth grade student. I was sixth grade student in a very, very big middle school. And I talked to him about my relationship first with my own father, which is a relationship that was based on fear, that was based on an idea of masculinity that was around dominance, around like uh, physical power, around, you know, sexual conquest. Like you needed to be the guy who dated all the girls in school and then around the accumulation of material wealth and things. My father was not only physically, but like mentally, emotionally abusive to me growing up. So I, I didn't really understand what it meant to be a man in the world. So I have this backdrop of what it meant to be a man was, was all in this negative realm. And at the same time, my father on the outside, he looked like things were going well. You know, he made a good living, good looking guy, um, really athletic. He coached all my teams as well, Mike. So I didn't have another guy. He was the guy. He was coaching my baseball, my basketball, my football team. And at the time, there weren't really male teachers in school. You know, it wasn't until I got to middle school and then you might have had a social studies teacher. You might have had the gym teacher. But there wasn't a guy that I really connected with. So I tell the boys in Building Men on day one the story 
I set up the backdrop with my father and the way that he treated me. And I'll tell you what, if I did well in sports, I felt a level of acceptance or love for my father. And I was a good athlete. So, you know, wound up playing baseball, basketball throughout. So if I, you know, scored 20 points, if I hit a home run, if I struck out 10 kids, we'd go for ice cream after the game. But if I missed the winning layup, if I, you know, walked the winning run in or struck out a couple times up at bat, he would take me by my head and throw me into the car backhand and I would hear it the whole way home. And a lot of my experience around sports were tears. And forget it, if I was up at bat and there were two strikes, I would look down and look at my father and the disappointment on his face, like, don't you dare strike out. And right again, when we start saying, don't you, don't you, don't you, of course, that's what happened with me. So I was always in fear around these things. So anyway, now I'm a sixth grade kid. I wound up making the middle school baseball team in a big middle school. Again, baseball was my sport. I wound up playing in high school and then in college. Baseball, I just love the, love the sport. Made the middle school baseball team. And it was a gigantic school where that wasn't the norm for a 12-year-old to make the team. And so I was so proud of myself. I couldn't wait, wait to get home and talk to my dad about it. And there were these three kids that I hung out with all the time growing up. And this is Central Jersey, Jersey Shore, you know, Frankie, Louie, and Vinny were their names. Italian <laughs> kids, I kid you not. Frankie, Louie, and Vinny. I could close my eyes and see these three boys. And they were the oh, kids man. that after school, we'd play basketball, baseball, manhunt, like played football. These were the kids that I hung out with. When I made the middle school baseball team, these three kids got cut. Right? Again, a big team. And I'm so happy for myself making the team. I was really proud. But as kids who themselves were going through, I'm sure, a lot at home, they needed to pick out the, the reason why. And I became the target of the frustration that these boys had. So not only did they stop hanging out with me and playing with me and things like that, like we would almost call it ghosting now. Ghosting wasn't a term back in the 19, late 1980s. And I was thinking, what did I do wrong, guys? Did I do something wrong? I'm sorry for whatever I did. And then it started to become, these boys started picking on me. They started to make mm. fun of the way that I looked. And I was a goofy looking kid, Mike. I mean, I'm a big guy now, 6'4", 225. My head is probably the same size right now as it was <laughs> when I was 12 years old. And I had this awful haircut with a mullet. And this is a mullet back before they came like ironically cool to have a mullet, like Theo Vaughn mullet. I had the, the first like mullet time frame. That was me. <laughs> I had a side shave with like a lightning bolt in it. Um, freckle face, these gigantic teeth, same size as they are now, but on a, on a 12-year-old body. So I was really uncomfortable with the way I looked as all you know, young men are. You go through those awkward things and you're like, that was me at 12. And so they started to pick on me for the things I didn't like about myself. And I remember being on the bus and it would start off with them like flicking me in the back of the ear, the wet willies. I got wedgies in school. Like you only see those things in like movies. No, I was getting wedgies in, in school. <laughs> and I can remember, dude, and I kid you not, I remember my, my schedule, like say first period, I had language arts. I knew where Frankie, Louie, and Vinny were going to be in between period one and period two as I was moving from language arts to math. Because if I saw them in the hallway, I'd get thrown into the locker, I'd get tripped, I'd get punched, I'd get pushed, and I'd definitely get made fun of. And then from period two to period three, I knew where they were going to be. So I had, as a 12-year-old boy, I had this map around this gigantic school where I needed to go to avoid seeing them during the school day. I kid you not. And then it turned into making the baseball team. I was after school most days, right? So I didn't have to take the bus home. But there were a couple of days where it rained and the practice was canceled. And so now I'm riding the bus home and these boys are on my bus on the way home from school. And when the bus stopped, the, the door opened, Mike. I had to sprint home. 
run as fast as I can home. Because if I didn't run that fast, they caught up to me. And at first it started with, and I could still remember the first time as I was running, they kicked my legs out from underneath and I fell face first. And these kids jumped on me and I got my ass beat. And then mm. I got rocks thrown at me, sticks thrown at me. I got jumped by these boys like three times as a sixth grade kid. And now they're, they're remember, they're 14. They're two years older than me. There's a big difference developmentally kids after they hit puberty. So I was scared to death. I couldn't talk to my father about it because God forbid I go home and I tell him that I'm not able to handle myself in a physical situation. So I was scared to death of my father. So that whole year, I was basically afraid all the time. There was not a safe space for me. So there was one moment in particular, and this is, as again, I'm talking to these eighth grade boys in a building men meeting, in the first meeting, how do I get them to come around to my side? So then I tell them this story and I said, I remember there was one day, practice was canceled from school, whatever the reason was. It was this beautiful sunny day, the bus stops at home. I haul ass home, I beat Frankie, Vin Vinny, and Louie to my door. I, I don't get beat up that day. So now I'm like, okay, at least I avoided the beat down. My father's like, all right, then we're going for batting practice right now because we had a big game coming up and God forbid his son isn't the best player on the field in the baseball game. So he takes me out for batting practice and we drive by Frankie, Louie, and Vinny playing basketball on the street. And as we drive by him, they're standing there and they all give me the, your number one sign. All, both, all of them flip the middle finger to us as we're driving by. And my father looks at me, he goes, hey, Den, what's up with these boys here? I thought you were, you were friends with them. Well, what's up with the middle finger? And I'm like, dad, no, no big deal. They're just, they're just kidding around. Like, don't worry about it. They're just kidding around. It's just joking. And he's like, all right, get to baseball practice or batting practice. And the whole time, like, I am thinking about, please don't let them be in the street when we, when we drive home. Like, that would be the worst thing that could possibly happen. And after batting practice, I was like, hey, dad, can we take this way home? Or can I stop at John Salini's house or something? Can we go someplace else? Driving home and they're in the street again. And I could still feel, again, going back to the 12-year-old me, I could still feel that pit in my stomach as we drove by. And this time as we're driving by, hopefully I could curse on this podcast. I mean, and so we drive by and all three in unison yell out, fuck you, as loud as they could. And now he knows something's up. So now my father pulls as fast as he can into the driveway. It was like two wheels in his van, like into the driveway. And he goes, go inside and wait for me. I'll be right back. And now the, the man that I'm scared of is going to talk to the three boys that I'm scared of. And I'm thinking, what the hell is about to happen? So I go upstairs and I sit on the floor in my room. I close the door and I could still remember with my back to the wall, my hands are on the carpet, Mike. And I could, feel, I could still do this right now in my head, feel the way the carpet felt in my fingers, like the tangible feeling of the carpet in my hand. And then my hands start to shake, right? And I, like I'm having this uncontrollable response. You know, 10 minutes later, my father, oh, I could hear him come in the front door. He burst open into my room. And I'll never forget this. He looks at me in the eyes and he goes, let's go. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. -on -one. And those words just hung out there. And now again, this is, a, I'm scared to death of this kid. I'm scared to death of my father. And it, he says it again, let's go. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. -on -one. Louis and Vinny won't jump in. And now my hands are trembling. My lips starts quivering. Tears are now streaming down my face. And it was, it's that, you know, physiological fight, flight, freeze response. I froze, Mike. I could not move. I couldn't say anything. I could not, nothing. And he says it one more time, really, really loud. And there was a lot of, better let's go. You're going to fight Frankie one-on-one. -on -one. And I, that's it. There was no movement. And he stops and he looks at me. He goes, they were right. You are a fucking pussy. And he walks out of my room. And now um, I burst into tears. 
And I'll never forget like that feeling of, you know, being scared and now feeling like I let my father down. I mean, at the time I was scared of him, but he was still the guy. He was still the guy in my life. And so I'm sitting there on the floor and I'm crying. And a couple minutes later, my mom walks into the room and I'm thinking, all right, just give me a hug, mom. You know, I, I just need someone to tell me it's okay. I'm a 12 year old boy. It's okay to be scared. And she walks in and she goes, you just lost your best friend in the world, your father. And she walked out no level of comfort or anything. And now I just like fall down onto the floor and he doesn't talk to me, Mike, for about a month. He, he like, he ignores me. It doesn't, no communication. The only time that he addressed me at all is when my younger sister, Tara, is two years younger than me, was around. He'd be like, hey, Tara, I bet you would have fought Frankie. You're tougher than your brother. So it was this level of like shame that I was feeling. So this is the backdrop of like, my experience as a young man trying to figure out what the hell, what is masculinity? What does it mean? I had no clue, dude. All I knew is that I wasn't it. I knew that I was not courageous. I wasn't strong. And now I start telling myself this story over and over and over again about why I'm going to let people down and I can't handle myself. And what we know, like reticular activating system, you start to see those things and I start to find evidence of these things in my life. And that, you know, like wrapped its way into many different pitfalls in my life, different relationships. But what I decided to do eventually, I came to the point where I'm going to use my pain as my purpose. And I'm going to start like using this story to, to talk to these kids in, in the very first meeting of the year that I have with them. And I'm going to share with them, like, again, I'm a big dude who's, you know, trains and like, and I'm up in the front of the room. And as I tell the story, even now, and I've told this story several times, I still get choked up. Like you could see it in my eyes. Like there, I, I still get teary eyed as I talk about this story because it still like impacts me in such a per, like profound way. But as I tell the story to these boys who come in and they're, you know, trying to prove how tough they are, it takes all the wind out of those sails and they see me sharing a level of vulnerability that they likely haven't seen a grown man share. And so as I stand up in front of them and I tell the story and then I tell them it's, it's really hard for me to go through that story. It's really hard for me to tell that story. Mm-hmm. But I tell them there is a, a, a tremendous amount of strength in being able to show your vulnerability and a tremendous amount of courage to be able to tell those stories that have that impact on you. And so I tell them, guys, I I had a lot of struggles in my life trying to to figure out what it meant to be a man, but I've I've figured out a lot of things. I'm still on my journey as we all will be throughout our entire lives as, as young men growing up. But what I've done is I've connected with a lot of great people. I've learned a lot of great things and I've developed somewhat of a playbook that will help you. And if you follow me along this journey, you will be a better man one day because of it. And then I kind of step back and I let some things resonate with them. And all of a sudden, those kids that came in initially, and they're like, what the hell am I doing here? This is bullshit. Now these kids are like, their eyes are wide open. Like, wow, that is crazy story, dude. What else can I learn from you? And so that's, again, a long way to to answer your question. Of That's how I start every single building men meeting. The first meeting is I tell that story. And depending on the age level of the student, I'm, I, you know, I add in, a, you know, some different things and, you know, with other things, I might not, you know, use the word pussy if I'm talking to a younger group of students, but that's the story that I tell. And right off the bat, that's what usually gets them to like, okay, let's listen to this guy. He's got something to tell us. Wow, brother. You definitely have never shared that story with me. And uh, thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a gift to not only be receiving of that, but also to see that's how you're leading these men. Um, 
because I would imagine the vast majority of them, especially the boys who need it the most, are the ones that in their own way haven't had that model. And to hear you share that story in the way that you've just shared it, I was, I don't even know if this was on air or right before we hopped on, but I was telling you this weekend, we're celebrating Luca's first birthday. And I mean, yeah, that, that just, that hits in a different way than, um, that I don't think it would have hit before if I wasn't a, a papa. And, um, so to have that and to see the work that you're doing and to do so from that place, to model it, to be on, but just to be it, you know, the, the, and that's what I'm saying. Like, thank you for that gift, for sharing that with me and to know that that's what these men or these boys are getting exposed to in this way. Like, that's amazing, dude. Um, would you mind sharing as much or as little as you're open to, but we both know in, in, like the, the importance of story, like story connects us as people. Yeah. I mean, before the written word, it was stories. It was stories that were passed down and passed down and men and families would sit around the fire. And that's why even when we lead, when I lead the in-person retreats, it's like, there's something nostalgic about a circle of men or a circle of people around a fire, just simply telling stories. So I want to just anchor in like at 12 years old, like I remember my, and actually, so we're living in the house that I grew up in. My brother and I bought it from my parents and literally a mile and a half down the road is my middle school. And so Luca falls asleep in the truck, the easiest, like I can say we can, he can sleep in the house, but like the truck is what gets him to go down. So every morning after I play with him, I take him in the truck and I drive it. It's been so crazy. This has been in this way. I've taken this route the last probably three months, two, three months. I go down the route that I used to take the bus to school. And it just like, even this morning, there's so many feelings that come up every single morning when I'm on that route. The anxiety that I felt. I remember when I was waiting at that bus stop, getting dropped off and just like being so self-conscious of my body and wanting to be liked. And I drive that route every day. And this morning was the first time I was ever like, it was interesting because I allowed myself for a brief moment to connect back to the anxiety that I felt as a kid. And I was like, can I bring like my nervous system down around this? Can I rewrite this story? Not like what's said, but like, can I rewrite the feeling of this route? So what was it like? Like, I know you just shared that you use it as fuel and as inspiration, as connection what was rewriting that story like, like that pivotal time? What was that journey like for you? I could tell you the exact moment that I rewrote this story. And it was, I was out in Seattle uh, with Julie. Julie's my partner. And we went out there for a, a week or something. We went to see a Mariners game. We stayed in this, this cool little cottage right on the right on the water. It was absolutely beautiful. And we had a moment where we were out one night and there was something that triggered me and it reminded me of something with my father. And I reacted in a really negative defensive way. And Julie's like, what was that, dude? Like, what was that about? And I had to think about like, where did this come from? Where something got me to a point where I was reacting in a way that was not consistent with what she knew from me. And so I started to go back and think about, okay, when was the last time that I felt like this? And why did I feel like this? And it was like feeling a level of um, inferiority and insecurity from something that a guy said. And I tracked it back to my dad. And 
right then and there, I was like, listen, and we were, we were taking a long drive. We were going from one area to another area. It was like a four hour drive. I was like, usually I'll drive up. I'm like, babe, can you drive these four hours? And went out to like a local CVS and I bought a couple pens and a journal. And I wrote, dude, for four hours straight, nonstop, like, and I still have the journal. It's like, it's something that I will recall from time to time. But basically what I went back and I did it, I retold that whole story, what I told to you. But then at little points, I would go in and I would stop and then flip a couple pages. And I would be like, what did little Dennis need at this spot? Like, what, mm. what was the message that he needed? What if I'm now me and I'm, I'm helping young men and someone came to me and they told me this? What would I say to that person? And I actually went through that process of saying like, listen, it's okay that you're scared right now. Little, little dude, it's, it's okay that you're scared right now. What, what can I do to support you instead of you're a, you're a pussy? I understand you're scared. These kids are older than you. Do you want me to intervene in some capacity? If not, what can I do? How about dad? What about teaching me how to fight? What about that? What if you're like Mick and I'm Rocky and you're like, all right, chase the chicken around the yard, whatever it is. You know, here's a big slab of meat. I want you to hit it with some gloves on. Um, whatever it is, like something like teach, take me under your wing. Like, let me know, like you're there to support me, but I'm also recognizing there's this challenge in front of you. I want to help you overcome mm. this challenge by yourself as your, as your safety net. I talk to parents a lot, Mike, now about being a lighthouse for your kids. I'm, there was a couple summers ago, I'm, I'm down in North Carolina in the Outer Banks, and we went to go visit this beautiful beach, and there's this old lighthouse there. And I started to think about my role as a dad being a lighthouse for the kids. Because my role as an educator, right, I was a, I was a teacher and then a middle school principal for many years. One of the things that I saw with, with parents is they would come in, and they'd want to solve all the problems for the kid. They'd want to come in and be like, my kid got a, you know, a grade. I want the grade changed. The teacher did this. I want this to be ha happening. I want this uh, consequence to be taken away. And I would tell parents, like, let your kids struggle a little bit. That's a big part of growing up is them understanding how resilient they could be. So I started to, to understand my role was to be a lighthouse for my kids and that it's not my job to get in the boat and steer them away from the rocks that are in their way, the jetty, the treacherous path or whatever, the waves. It's my job as a parent to be there as a support and shine the light on the potential areas of danger. And then it's up to them what they're going to do with that. They might get a little bit too mm. close to the rocks and whatever, and it might make me a little bit anxious, but this is their life to, to lead. I need to be there to support. And in the same way, there's going to be times that I'm going to be like, listen, if you go in this path here, it's going to be a little easier path for you to sail. I'll be there to support you. I'm, I'm always going to be here on the shore protecting you from those treacherous things, but it's your job to steer the ship. And it was an, an epiphany for me to be able to do that. So what I needed in that point in my life was that my father to be a strong, solid figure, a lighthouse for me, and he was not that. So I'm like, okay, let me be that for me. So I'll go back and I'll retell the story to myself. And then, God damn it, I'm going to do that for all of, for my kids, that you know, my three kids, and then any young man that I'm working with, I will be that lighthouse for them if they need yeah, that is some very practical, powerful, powerful advice, like doing, you know, your own inner child coaching, like learning and giving yourself the permission and opportunity to reparent yourself. And what's so cool, and this is a shout out to the Enlifted Method, you know, getting these stories out on paper, like actually taking pen to pad and taking what's in our minds, in our hearts, and actually getting some physical distance to it so that we can look at it objectively and begin breaking it down. Like you shared earlier, um, 
I'm going to paraphrase, but the word like, don't do this, don't, 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 don't. Mm -hmm. And like those things anchor into our mind and they shape our worldview, how we view ourselves, how we view the world, how we navigate life, how we get our needs met, what type of friends we seek out. All of that stuff is so shaped. So uh, what age were you when you started rewriting? um, What age were you when you started rewriting that, uh, that story? 43. Fuck. So the major event that was, and obviously I I would imagine that there was a whole series of these micro events, right? But that significant event when you were 12 years old to now beyond 40 years old, it's like, that's a long time for that story Mm -hmm. to get ingrained in our nervous system. And so what I've really realized within my own life is like healing, for example, happens in layers. And sometimes we can have these big aha healing moments, but it's also a call to like revisiting some of those stories and looking at it from different perspectives at different points in life. And what a gift, not only to you, but also to now your kids to be able to do that. Um, fuck. Um, with that said, what are today with what you're, because you're, you're speaking at schools, you're in front of kids. You've also had, again, you were a principal, so you've spoken to a lot of parents. What I would love to hear is what are maybe the top two or three challenges from the perspective of kids that they're experiencing and then in the same way, parents? So I'll, kids, to go back to part of our initial conversation, resistance, distraction, victimhood, those three things. I did a big speech for Enlifted. They did their big Enlifted event in Richmond and I was one of the the speakers and I it, I titled the speech The Three Thieves, right? And so the idea of resistance, hesitancy to do the hard work, right? When when things are are hard, kids are more likely to to back off of them. So what I do with resistance is I talk about the importance of intentional discomfort. And even with the boys, like the, every time that I meet with a group of boys there is not only a character pillar that we talk about, And I have 12 character pillars, accountability, authenticity, commitment, confidence, courage, humility, integrity, leadership, resilience, self-discipline. Like I talk about things like that. Then there's also some uh, 12 healthy habits and they'll fit right along with like what you do. It's like the importance of breathing, like really understanding what that means, right? The importance of getting outside and grounding, like getting outside in the sun at least 30 minutes a day. The importance of sleep, the importance of hydration, uh, nutrition, strength training, uh, the importance of journaling for kids, the importance of reading people that know something really um, intricately about a specific subject area. And one thing we talk about is the importance of intentional discomfort. So right off the bat, I tell the boys, I'm going to give you a challenge. You, you may or may not be interested in doing that. It's just a quick two-minute cold shower every single day. <laughs> and I'm like, hopefully you're showering at least once a day. You know, I understand kids are gross like in middle school. Um, but, and some of the kids are like, what are you crazy? There's no way. And I'm like, I understand it's challenging, but you're stronger than this is going to be challenging to you. When we talk about the, the, the psychology around doing things that we know are going to be challenging. And I bring in some like Dr. Andrew Huberman, who I'm totally a fanboy of Andrew Huberman. I absolutely love that dude. But we, we talk about, like when we could lay train tracks in our brain, we, when we know something is going to be hard and we do it intentionally and see it through to fruition, what it does is it lays these train tracks, these neural pathways in our brain that the next time something is hard, we know that we're the type of person that can overcome a difficult challenge. So if we can start doing things like that, it makes us stronger men in the future. So that's the, the first thing as we talk about resistance. The second is distraction, dude. It's, a, it's remarkable. When, when I ask the boys 
It's like meeting two or three. Tell me how much time, without looking at your phone, how much time do you think you're spending on average a day on your phone? And the average guess that they give me, this is middle and high school kids, is three hours. That's their guess, right? And so this is with the idea that they're sleeping seven or eight hours a night. They're in school for about seven hours, which would leave them anywhere, you know, like eight, nine hours of time not in school or not sleeping. So their guess is three hours. The average time that middle school and high school boys in the areas where I am spend on their phone is seven hours a day. Seven hours is the average screen time. With the high, Mike, the high that I saw on average was 14 hours. There was a boy that was on his phone for 14 hours. So when we talk about what distraction can do to us, and once they see it, now they can't unsee it. And so then I show them a quick TED Talk video. And basically the guy talks about, it's a remarkable video. I'll send you it in a text message. It's one that you want to start watching right now. But the guy talks about, you know, things that the way that we spend our time, right? And the average, you know, uh, if you're an 18-year-old and you live to be about 90, year old, 90 years old, this is about how much time you have on this planet in months. And then it's like, okay, you have about 350 months to live, to do the things that you want to be able to do, your bucket list items. This is taking away sleep and work and yard work and driving. So it takes all that. Okay, you don't, you've already done that. This is free time to do your bucket list things, to travel, to go on adventures. So what I have the boys do is I'm like, you have this time left. Tell me about what you're going to do with your life. What's on your bucket list? And the kids are like, and it's really impressive that the kids are like, I want to travel. I want to start a business. I want to be in the NFL. Some kids are like, I want to make enough money to retire my parents. I have 14-year-old, 15-year-old boys saying that stuff. And to me, it's like, that's where it gets you right in the heart. You're like, oh, so cool that I have boys saying that. But then I show the rest of the video. And and the way that it's trending right now for the average 18-year-old, they spend, and it's crazy, 93% of free time connected to a screen, a video game, a phone, or the television, 93% of the time. And then I show the boys the visual, and it takes those 350 months, and it cuts it down to like four months when you take away a lot of time and they're like, oh my God, holy shit. And then they realize that what they showed me with the amount of time that they're spending on their phone, it connects with that as well. And at that moment, they're like, what can I do right now? And then, so we talk about some strategies. What can you do to support one another to cut down the amount of time that you're spending on your screen? And if you're going to accomplish this goal, how many of you said you wanted to spend that time on your bucket list time frame? playing, you know, Call of Duty or being on TikTok. Nobody says that. So what can you do right now? So it's an opportunity for the kids to learn from what distraction is doing to them. And then we talk about how it rewrites what's going on in their brain. And you are becoming a slave to this technology. And then the last thing is the victimhood. Like, and I see this so much. It's the teacher's fault. It's the coach's fault. You know, it's my parents' fault. It's society's fault. It's whoever's fault when we could take ourselves away from the place where we're blaming other people and taking full accountability for things that have happened. And I'll connect it back to the story that I told them in the beginning. One thing that the boys asked me, they're like, you know, how do you feel about that now? If you could go back and change it, what would you do differently? And I, I'm like, you know what? I would go through that whole thing again. I would Every single thing that happened, I would do it all again because it got me to this place right here. So I'm not going to go back. Mm. I'm not going to blame anyone. Like all those experiences, they were tough to go through, but they they got me to where I am. So then I told them too, the, the things that you've gone through in your life, those, those difficult challenges, they might not be your fault. They probably aren't your fault, but they're your responsibility to deal with. They're 100% your responsibility. And I said, take it a step further. Use that pain as your purpose. They can become your privilege. Now I'm like, I'm that, that experience for me was a privilege because now it's a story that I can use to connect with some kids where otherwise they would just see me as some big white dude standing in front of the class 
wearing like, you know, some goofy Jordans that I'm trying to impress them with. <laughs> and I do wear Jordans. I like that's one. Like I get into a school and I have a, like a cool pair of sneakers on. They're like, all right, let, let me let me listen to this guy for at least a minute or two because I'm wearing. Jordans. Let, let him pass the door. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna pass. <laughs> he's gonna pass the door. Um, yep. Dude, I didn't know. I had no idea. I mean, obviously, you hear you know about how you know cell phones and all that stuff, but it's it's obviously more fascinating it's now real. to me than yep. ever. It's fucking real and. That's insane. Plus 90 plus percent at 18. And so imagine as years goes down the road. But you know, what's so wild when I was thinking is it always surprises me even at, at the retreats, like when we do a survey after and hear like what was the most impactful thing. And even sometimes when I chat with guys, they will say not having my phone on me for four days. Like when, when was the last time that you or I or whatever can remember having, or most people can remember having their phone not on for more than just 24 hours, then 48 hours. Then You know what I'm saying? It's just like insane. And so when you think about that time, just that being a massive teaching lesson. So have you been able to keep up? Like, that's incredible. The statistic that you said about the the suspension rate going down. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, since you've instituted building men, are there any stories that stick out with you with young men that you've kept in touch with maybe one, two, three, four, five years later down the road? And what path were they heading? And like, what have you seen them? How has this helped them course correct now that you've talked to them later in life? Like even further back in time, I have a, a letter in my wallet uh, from a boy who was in Building Men, and it was in 2007. So I started Building Men as a as a principal in 2005, and there was a young man. I'm gonna eventually have him on the podcast. He's he's gone through a lot of stuff in his life. His name is Blaine Almer. I'll share this with him. I'm gonna give him a shout out right now. He'll eventually be on the Building Men podcast. But hmm. Blaine was a seventh grade boy at the middle school. He was in Building Men. He also had a really, really challenging upbringing with two alcoholic parents. And Blaine, as an eighth grade kid, I ate lunch with Blaine at least once a week. And so I'm a big New York Giants fan coming from North Jersey. Blaine, where, you know, he's coming from is a Philadelphia Eagles fan. So we would have bets <laughs> on games and things. And But we would, we, we talk sports, we talk life. And so I would sit with him and he would open up to me about the things that he really didn't feel comfortable talking to a counselor about or a social worker about. So we would talk and we would bullshit very often. There were times that he would just, he would get kicked out of class just to come and talk to me. And I'd be like, listen, Blaine, here's the deal. If you want to come talk to me, I will give you the golden ticket whenever you want, but you got to stop getting kicked out of class, <laughs> right? So we started to go through these little life lessons. Um, really smart kid. And as Blaine got older, I think he was 17 years old, his father died. And I was at the at the funeral. And I he, I remember when I when I walked into the funeral parlor and, you know, during the viewing, and I saw him, he broke down in tears and he came over and he hugged me and he like wouldn't let go, like trauma shaking, hugging me. And mm-hmm. so I, I mentioned, I have, a, I have a letter in my wallet. It was a letter from Blaine that he, that I, that he gave to me um, when, right after his father's funeral. And he was like, you know, I never told you this, but he said, when I was in eighth grade, he said, I really thought about committing suicide. He said, I had a plan. And he said, I had a letter written. He's like, I didn't go through with it because I didn't want you to know that I wasn't around anymore. And I, I heard this and I was like, wow, dude, that is powerful shit right there. And he's like, because, you know, my whole saying 
with Building Men was go one step further than you thought you could go. It trends back to some of the activities that we do in Building Men. And he's like, I couldn't give up because I knew that wouldn't be going a step further than I thought I could go. And so this kid, now he's a 17-year-old junior in high school, goes into his senior year. His father had passed away. His mother was, you know, really ill um, as far as her, the, the disease that she was battling. So Blaine is an 18-year-old, took legal guardianship of his two younger siblings who were in middle school at the time, who were both in special, special education. So Blaine as an 18-year-old young man, as a high school kid, would go to, to meetings for his younger siblings. And this is a kid who barely made it through middle and high school, is now going as a young man. And from that point... He didn't go to college right away. He had to get a job to support his family. And it took him years and years and years. And again, he's a kid that was in the initial building men group all the way back in the day. And he's a kid that through the years we've connected and stayed in touch. And I'm like, whatever you need, you know, I'm, I'm always here for you. You know, talk him off the cliff in a couple of different situations. Well, he's about to graduate with his master's in, um, in psychology. Dude, this episode, you got me like all freaking choked up here. It's like, I <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is like, uh, but he he has he's about to graduate with his master's in psychology. Blaine will be 30 years old. Um, and we have coffee once a week still. So when I, you know, as no far as like way. keeping in touch with kids, like this is a kid Damn. who um I was his principal back in 2007 and I still talk. Damn. And that's just one story of like kids that I've just stayed in touch with. Like I just, it's one of those things where if like we can like I'm never gonna be like, well. You know, you've graduated. We're good right now. I'm I'm here for the kids until until they're done <laughs> needing me as a as a mentor in their life. So um, that's an example. And again, I I have the letter from Blaine in my wallet. And you know, anytime that I'm feeling a little bit, you know, like oh this sucks or this and that, I go and I read that. It's like now it's my source of inspiration. If there's something challenging that I'm dealing with in my own life, brother, thank you. When you have Blaine on the podcast, that's definitely an episode that I would love to hear and. To hear a glimpse of that story. What it brings up for me is to never underestimate the effect that one person can have. Like one, you, you really, you, me, all of us never really have an idea of what's actually going on in someone's mind, in someone's heart. We never really, like all we see, especially on social media, we see the shortest glimpse of a highlight reel but we really have no eye fucking idea what's going on in their head, what's going on in, the, in their home, what are they really challenged by? And sometimes just having one person, one simple person, and thank, thank God, thank whatever that you are there and willing to be there consistently for them. Like that, is, that, that in and of itself is, is, needs to be mentioned. And what I will say is just having someone, even like, smiling at someone Mm -hmm. could be the biggest difference between, you know, a shitty day and a great day or something more significant and and something not happening. Just giving someone the time of day and remembering at the bottom line, we are all human and we are all looking for love, connection, appreciation, validation to be seen. And so it's really what I'm really inspired to do even more is just to recognize the influence that we all have and to bring it back down to the human level and to recognize that just simply our ear or giving someone the time of day, especially, especially a young child, especially because they're oftentimes the people who need it most and are very like 
all of us, even adults, dude, we're just kids running around in adult suits, man. Like we still have, we still struggle with the same stuff unless we revisit it and all that sort of stuff. So it's like this stuff does build and amplify and get stuff down. Um, Man, you had shared earlier as well. One of the things which I love too about the things that you share with parents about the importance or the value uh, of being becoming a lighthouse and not necessarily taking trying to take challenge away from your kids, but you know showing them a, a little bit of the of the roadmap, for example, or of what's on the map, but not trying to uh, save them from from things. For example, that's how I heard it. What other advice? could you give to parents? Let's stick with middle school. Let's stick with that. Cause I just remember that is the most, I think, awkward, challenging years. What else can you share for insights for parents who are having difficulties with their kids? All right. So I'll, I'll do three, three separate things, three quick stories. So Luke is going to be a year old, right? Is he, is he taking steps yet? He's up balancing for like 10 seconds and then he goes back down. All right. So Luke is going to take his first step right? He's going to take that first step. Is he likely going to take that first step and start running? No. (laughs) No, he's going to take a first step and he's going to fall flat on his ass. As a parent, what are you going to do in that situation? You're going to be like, you know what, Luca? Hey, kid, you gave it a shot. You know what? Maybe walking isn't for you. What are you going to do? You're (laughs) going to pick Luca up and and you're going to be like, Luca, you got this, man. Let's go. Take another step. And Luca's going to take a step, drunken sailor. He's going to fall down. And you're going to watch, rinse, repeat over. And, and you're going to like be there supporting him as he's struggling through shit. I use this example with, with boys and with parents. And I use the same example. I'm like, I watched every single one of you walk in here. No one crawled. No one scooted on their ass in here. You all walked in here. How did that happen? You failed so many times at walking, yet you're able to walk. Why then when we get to middle school, especially and beyond, do we give something a chance? Maybe we're nervous about it. We give it a chance. We're unsuccessful at first and we give it up. We're done. So my advice mm. to parents is that I call it, there's a, another TEDx talk. I'm, you know, I'm geeking out on TEDx talks. It's called the Super Mario Effect. When you played the game Super Mario Brothers, you got to a level, level three, two, and you knew that, you know, Mario had to jump on the turtle and it moved here. Then you jumped here, jump, jump, jump. And if you didn't jump right away, you fell into the pit and died. It wasn't at that point you didn't say, ah, oh, screw it. I'm done with Super Mario Brothers. It brought you back to the beginning of level three, two, and you tried it again. And this time you knew that you had to jump two times really quickly and then jump really far to get to the next level to pull the flag down. What that did was it, it trained us to be able to say, okay, instead of seeing failure as a be-all, end-all, it is a little bit of a stepping stone to learn from and grow. So what I will tell parents is let your kids fail. Celebrate those little failures and honor like, okay, let's try something even together as a family. Get together as a family and try something brand new and feel goofy doing it. It's okay for parents to to look goofy in front of your kids. One thing that I'll tell dads especially is don't just tell your kids the story of the time that you hit the game-winning jump shot or you made the layup or you hit the home run and the cheerleader was on your shoulder and you walked off the field, right? Don't tell your kids just those stories. Sure, they should hear them. Tell them the time. Like, I'll tell my kids the time where I had a chance to make a game-winning layup, but I was so nervous to fail that I decided not to cut to the basket, even even though I know I would have been wide open. Because I knew if the ball got past me, what if I missed the shot? So I didn't take the opportunity. I tell my kids that story, and I say, I, I wish... 
I would have been able to be like, you know what? Even if I fail, I'm going to take the shot here. I'm going to give it a shot. So I tell the stories of of the times that I wasn't successful too, because then it normalizes, especially for young men, that listen, as guys, we're fallible too. It's okay for us to fail and learn from those experiences. So that's one thing I'll tell parents is like, normalize failure for your kids and go through those failures with them and then learn and learn. If I want to try to juggle tomorrow, I don't know how to juggle. I'm going to throw up three balls in the air. They're all going to fall on the ground. God damn it. You know, hopefully, I'm not going to use eggs. That would be a mess if I did that. <laughs> but I'll, you know, I'll give it a shot and I'll try again and I'll try again. It might take me 3,000 times. But if I keep at it and learning little things to do with my hands and the, the pauses here, I'll be able to do it by leaning into the failures of those situations. So that's the first thing. The th- second thing I would say to parents is to, um, to delay gratification for your kids. Mm. Like the, like the, the, playing or whatever doesn't come until after the chores are done. And if it's, if it's homework, if it's whatever, like they need to be able to, to, to do the sucky stuff to get the, you know, the benefit of it. It's so often right now. And again, when we have this, you know, computer in our hand that could tell us any information, kids are so less likely to think and explore and, you know, think I, you mentioned a bus ride to school, Mike, when you were in middle school and the anxiety. Like we would ride the bus to school and we would sit there and it was like mindfulness back in the day because we would sit and it's like the bus is bumpy and the seats are sticky and like, you know, there's this kid next to you that's flicking your ear and giving you wet willy and it sucks. <laughs> but you'd look at the window and there was condensation dripping down and you'd be like, huh, I wonder why it's like that. I wonder why you could write my name on the window or draw like a penis in the freaking you know, condensation. I wonder why that happens right now. I wonder why that's going on. And then, you know, you're waiting for your parent after, you know, baseball practice to pick you up and you're just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. You're like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. And you, you think now there's no boredom. It's okay mm. to be bored. Like have some time just to not be be like totally immersed in something where they could think and be bored or go and play and invent something. I did a workshop last night at a school district and I told the parents, let your kids be bored. They're going to be like, this is boring. Yep, it is. Figure something out. Go play, go learn, go like throw a a rock and try to hit the tree as many times as it takes. Because those are the times that they they figure things about themselves and then they, they have an opportunity to think as well. That's a really, really important piece of parenting is to let your kid be able to experience those like sucky situations and, and overcome that boredom. Damn. Yes. Let your kids be bored. Let them be bored as shit. Find the space to be creative. And, uh, you're exactly right, man. Like how often do kids have nothing to do? Last one real quick. And something I've been geeking out on recently is yeah. the book Mindset Mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, okay. Highly, highly recommend. And here's something, and I've recently apologized to my kids for not knowing this beforehand. Again, as an educator, it's something that I really wish that I knew as I was raising my kids. So the book Mindset by Carl Dweck, and I'm not going to go into the, you know, all the, you know, the nitty gritty of it, but basically the idea is when you're, if you're going to praise your kids about anything, Mm. praise them on effort rather than identity. And what I mean by that is, and it's, it's anti what we believe as parents. Like I need to tell my kid, they are the smartest kid in the class. They are the best baseball player. They are the, when you play, praise your kids on identity, what happens is say your, your, say Luca comes back with his first 100 on a, you know, a test in second grade. Dad, I got a hundred. Luca, you are the smartest kid. I'm so proud of you. You are so, 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 so smart. We're going out for ice cream right now, Luca. 
And now Luca identifies his intelligence with the grade of 100. So mm. that happens two or three times in a row. Now Luca starts to value the number that he's getting. And then all of a sudden, Luca gets a 68 on a test. And now he's like, oh, shit. I can't tell that about this because I'm not smart anymore because I got a 68 on a test. So now what kids start to do is start to manipulate and they, they start to become like, they're more likely to lie about things and misrepresent. Or it could be, you're the best baseball player. You hit a home run, you're the best baseball player. What happens if I strike out against one of the better pitchers in the league? Now in my head, I'm no longer... And so I mentioned this because I, that was how I was raised, but I also started to do that with my own kids. What I've shifted it to, it drove them a little bit crazy initially, but then I apologized to them and told them why I changed was, if I praise you on effort, you can always work hard. So Luca gets a hundred on a test. Luca, you studied your ass off for this test. I'm so proud of how hard you worked to get the grade that you wanted on that test. You are such a hardworking kid. Talk to me about that. And when I tell educators this initially, they get really pissed at me. No, we have to praise, we have to praise. So I say, praise the, the hard work, praise the effort, praise the, the, the process rather than the, the end result in it as well. And then I'll also tell, tell people that I'm working with and parents especially, when kids show you something that says saying, great job, great job, great job, ask questions in a really excited way. So for example, Luca <laughs> brings you his um, the artwork that he does. You know, there's the macaronis that are all glued together. Oh, great job, great job, great job. And as kids grow up, we're constantly doing that white noise praise for kids. What it starts to do is it turns into all they're doing when they do anything is they're looking for your praise or they're just trying to like check a box. I'm going to hand this in. I just want the good job, great job, and then I'm done. So what I tell people to do is ask questions in an excited way that will extend the learning for kids. So for example, they hand something in. Wow. I noticed that you use this color pattern here. Why did you why did you go about using that color pattern? Or what was the most challenging thing about what you just did here? Or when you did this, what's the next thing that you want to do? What's really getting you fired up right now? So I'm still validating whatever they went through, but it's not that they're doing it for the praise. They're now it, it turns it back on them. And what they want to do is they want to go deeper and learn more about whatever it is. I've seen such a like a monumental shift in my own kids when I started to do that. I didn't start as a parent of kids when I was like, when they were Luca's age. It wasn't until the last couple of years that I shifted my mindset to start focusing in on the journey it took rather than the destination that they're going through. So I thought that that was an important one. I didn't want to shortchange. I told you I was going to give you three. I wanted to, I wanted to come, you know, finish off the, uh, the trifecta there. I super appreciate that. I love... Yeah, man, that's huge. I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation because I really do feel this is one of the, the the joys of having this podcast is like selfishly, I get to benefit from stuff just like this from yeah. real world experience and also everyone listening gets to as well. I'm curious. So the way that I understood that, and I don't know if it happens, I'm curious in like two phases or it's all happening kind of at the same time. Because what I heard you first say was around like praising the process. And then the second piece of that was basically like teaching them in a in a beautiful way how to praise themselves. So it's like in the beginning, you're validating a process. And in the second phase, you're teaching them how to do so themselves and kind of guiding them through that. Is that how I understood it? Or would you add anything to that? Because that I want to really anchor this in for myself and then people listening right. to. 
so what I tell people, like you, what you want to do is always the process. Like the whole time it's about the process. But as the kids developmentally get to a, a, a place and the age level, it depends developmentally on a kid. I had a, a discussion last night with a large group of parents helping them raise their sons. And I, I mentioned something and there was a bit of a pushback with a kid. Well, my kid won't do that. And I said, well, here's the thing. They're like snowflakes, right? No two are going to be the same. So I'll give some advice in a general term, but for your kid, you might know specifically, I need to get to know the kid a little bit deeper to give you really, really specific advice on that kid. But what you want them to be able to do is get to a piece of self-reflection. Like that's a, a huge piece, right? I mean, if if the kid is all about just wanting to do something to to you know to make sure that you are happy with him you know i'll tell teachers all the time what is your motivation behind doing this is it just so the kid is obedient and subservient and they're making you happy or do you want the skill to turn into they it works in your class in the next teacher's class when they're in 7th grade and 12th grade when they're 32 years old and they're leading their own family. So what we want to do is, is help them look at things more introspectively and say, okay, how can I take this, learn from and become a better person because of my work here? And if it's just to get the sticker, to get the smiley face, to get the check mark, the 100, that's, that's the end goal. If we're, if we're just grading like, okay, good job, you're done. Learning stops. So always, I'm always trying to turn it back, like hold the mirror up in front of the kid. Why, why did you get 100? Or why did you not get 100 if the 100 is, is the grade that we're using? And I'm not a big fan of, you know, grades or standardized testing or homework. I'm, that's not what I believe in at all. But it's, it's a way that kids can self-reflect. Like, what can you do to hold the mirror up in front of the kids so this way they can look at what did their effort turn into the result that they were looking for? And it could be across the board in anything, Mike. So, like, give you an example. If I'm working with Balco, the Bulgarian bag, and I'm not putting in the effort, right? The mirror that I'm holding up in front of my face is, all right, in the next 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, if I don't get the results that I wanted, it's because of my lack of effort here. So if I want to be able to hold up a mirror in front of my face, it it totally is like, it's a result of the effort that I do or don't put in. So it's the same thing with, with kids in school. What you want to do is like, okay, what happened here? Let's hold the mirror up. Be reflective on the process rather than just the grade that you got. And it also, you know, because kids, here's the other thing that happens. Kids are, if it's just about the grade, they're going to be cheating off each other and sharing grades and finding like little shortcuts here and there. And to me, I don't, it's controversial, but once my kids got into middle school, I have not checked my kids' grades at all. I, I do not check really? my kids' grades. And so there's a an online portal where, t where parents can go on and check their kids' grades all the time. And I remember being a principal, Mike, I could, I could check to see, like, all right, how often are the Salemis checking on Lucas' homework? Well, Mike Salemi logged in 72 times today to check on Lucas' homework assignments, right? I don't check it at all. I've never checked my kids' grades. What I tell them is, come home and talk to me about what's going on. If I'm going to get a call from a teacher, the conversation I want to have is with you first. So you come in and you talk to me about it. And then I also turn it back on my kids. And again, I'm an educator for life. Um, I tell my kids, listen, if there's an issue in school, you're going to be the one that handles it. I started doing that when my kids are in second grade. If there's an issue going on, you're going, to, you're going to talk to the teacher about it. We'll practice what that's going to sound like. So you have an opportunity to talk about what's going on. We could role play. So you have an opportunity. To, and then if it doesn't work with a teacher, who's the next person you're going to talk to? The principal. All right? So we'll send an email from you to the principal to schedule a meeting. Wow. And if I'm a principal and I'm getting an email from a kid that, I, that they want to sit down and talk, God damn it, I'm going to make time for that kid to sit down and talk. And so you have an opportunity to go through the process, share your thoughts about what's going on, especially if you don't think things are fair or equitable. I'm there to support you if 
you're unable to get your needs met. But there are times I'm like, you could give it a shot, but I disagree with you here. Give it a shot. If it works, that's great. If it doesn't, you give it a shot, kid. I've never, I don't, you know, at once the, my kids were in sixth grade, I haven't gone to a parent conference after that, you know. So it's, I, I believed in that homeschool connection until my kids were able to advocate for themselves. I practice with them to give them the tools needed, but I'm invested in helping them become the best adults that they can be. And the more that I'm a helicopter parent and hovering over them, the more likely my kids are to be living in my basement until they're 34 years old. And that's not what I want. That's not what anyone wants. So I'm giving them the tools at a young age. I'm there to support. Again, that lighthouse idea. I'm there. I'm a, I'm a figure to shine the light. I'll help you through it. But it's your journey to go on, you know? And if you're like, screw it, I'm not doing the homework assignment. All right. Then you're going to get the result of the homework assignment not being in. You're not going to be able to do this. Or you're going to get to the tension or the then you're going to deal with that consequence. It's a logical consequence. You're going to deal with that. Now, real quick, Dennis, was there any consequences or at all if they, if they, let's say, you know, outside of the disciplinary actions at school in the house, like, did you guys have anything if they brought home, let's say C's or D's or for example, was there any disciplinary action at home or you didn't even pay attention to that or yeah, how did you approach that? So, for example, and now it, it's a lot of we like invested the time in our kids, like understanding the value of education. So it's something that I would talk to my kids about at a, at a very young age. So I was, I think it was like, I was fortunate that my kids did invest and they wanted to do well in school. And to me, it wasn't mm. like, I don't care what your grades are. What I care about is you giving the effort. And you might not agree with whatever the assignment is, but you're going to do that assignment to the best of your ability. So I would ask my kids in whatever capacity, did you give your full effort here? And if the answer was no, okay, well then what does your full effort look like? And they would tell me, okay, well then the consequence will be like, show me your full effort before whatever it is. Again, delaying gratification before you go out and you play and do whatever, like show me what your full effort is here. It's like, for me, if I'm going to, like, I have my job to do before I go out and, you know, um, hang out with the boys or do whatever, you know, like, I need to get my work done first. Like, that's just a part of life growing up. Like, I wanted my kids to learn that lesson. So for me, it was all about, again, all about them showing whatever that effort was. And if my kid was really struggling in a class, right? Okay, well, what, if it's important to you to get the specific grade, because the grade isn't for me. And I think a lot of parents mm. make that mistake as well. I need to make sure that my kid gets an A on whatever. Well, Maybe their propensity isn't for an A in this specific class. And that's okay as long as they're giving their best effort and they're investigating avenues if they do need support. So say I don't really understand um, the eighth grade math right now. I'm struggling with, with algebra. All right, which is like a lot of people struggle with algebra. Okay, what are some avenues you can, you can take to close that gap? Um, could you get a tutor? Could you stay for extra help? Can you talk to someone? Is there a video that you can watch? Can I sit down with you and help? But it's up to you to do that. And if they're like, you know, I, I don't screw it. I'm not going to get a, get the extra help. Then you're going to get the D in the class, right? So then that's the the consequence that comes along with it. Um, but again, I was lucky in that. While I didn't check my kids' grades, they wanted to do the best that they can do in whatever subject area it was. Um, but it's interesting because one of the reasons why I got out of public education was I just disagreed with the whole we have to raise our test scores and you know in math you know, and, and language arts in, you know, the sub uh, subcategory of special education with minority students. So you can't run building men meetings because we have to raise our test scores. 
So I was like, all right, that's, this is not for me anymore. I need to go find another, another avenue to bring building men into the world. Damn, man. This is so helpful, especially, uh, I mean, for all parents right now, especially. What are you most excited about right now? And where is Building Men going? Because I know in this, especially in this last year or in 2023, you gained a lot of traction. And so share, please, uh, what you're up to right now. Where is Building Men? Because I imagine there's going to be parents who listen to this and would love to send their kids to some of what you're doing. So right now, what I'm doing is I actually go in and I work with schools. So I do, it's like a full year program that I'm running with schools where I'll go in, I'll do some type of a keynote in the beginning of the school year. I'll meet with the stakeholders. I'll do some type of a training with them. And then I'll go in once a month for the entire school year. And I travel around quite a bit to be able to accomplish this once once a month. And I'll go in and I'll facilitate meetings with the support of their faculty. So I'll have uh, a male administrator, a male social worker, counselor, sit down in the meetings. And I'm basically taking it to where I can turn key it to them after a year and they could start running it for themselves the following year. So that's the way it looks right now in several school districts, you know, primarily on the East Coast, but I do travel out to the Midwest as well. Um, looking forward to getting into some school in Shasta, California at some point in the, uh, in the not too distant future. But um, the other thing that I do is I work with a very small number of boys one-on-one. So I do coaching, I usually cap it because I like to work with them for a full calendar year. Um, and then I have a group called The Foundation that meets once every two weeks. And it's an um, a online community that we meet via, via Zoom. And that's twice a month. We meet about an hour, hour and a half. And I invite on guest mentors. Spoiler alert, uh, Mike Salami is going to be one of the guest <laughs> mentors in the near future. We've had on Mark England, a guy named Eben Britton. He's out in your way. I, I talked about Evan Britton, former NFL football player. We've had some unbelievable guests, guys that have been authors, really successful in different areas of life. Come on. I do a little mini interview. They give advice to these young men and then they get to ask questions of the guest mentor. And how powerful is it when you have a 12, 13, 14 year old has an opportunity to ask Mike Salemi a question about, you know, the importance of breathing through your nose when you're working out, right? And it's like, it's so powerful that we have this community that is as these opportunities for connection and what building men is turning into the into the in the future is doing um, quarterly big events and retreats where I'll, I'll have large groups of young men together with badass mentors that can help steer them in the right direction so this is just the tip of the iceberg um, I'm super fired up about everything and here's the thing this started all the way back in 2005 was the first building men meeting that I ran as an assistant principal at Bordentown Regional Middle School and it's turned into something where I'm like this it needs to be a part of, of school communities. And do I think it would be great to be able to homeschool your kids and create communities? Well, here's the thing. It's not always possible. When you have like a lot of these schools where I'm working, the boys in the schools don't have a, any father figure. Their moms are working two jobs and they're living in an inner city where they can't do an, a program where they're you know homeschooling their kids or paying a ton of money for a private school. But all boys need to be a part of a community and the, the power and them getting together and recognizing, shit, I'm not the only one who feels really awkward and, and uncomfortable because I'm an eighth grade kid and I haven't hit puberty yet, right? And so I share a story like, hey, listen, I was that kid in eighth grade. I was afraid to go to a pool party and take off my shirt because all my best friends 
had the, you know, the genetics of Mike Salemi and they had a mustache when they were in freaking seventh grade. And I was like, you know, I had no armpit hair. And I'm like, I'm worried about jumping in the pool because these girls that I like are going to see me without a shirt on and be like, oh, he's a little boy. He didn't hit puberty yet. So I talk about that with the boys. And they're like, holy shit, I'm not the only one that feels like that. Or I'm like, listen, I remember what it was like, you know, having a freaking perpetual boner in language arts class. And it's, and you're like, how do I walk from class to class and hold my book in a way that nobody knows that I got a boner right now? And it's, really awkward and uncomfortable. But middle school teachers don't talk about this shit. I'm like, I'll talk about it because the boys think about it. And then they realize they're not the only one and they could connect in a community and with the idea that we're also going to talk about being accountable and the idea about resilience and leadership and service to other people. That wasn't anything that I was thinking about when I was 14, 15 years old. Let's normalize those things. We'll have a good time, but it'll also be like little rites of passages and uh, rites of passages and challenges. We're onto something, man. Like we, it's and it it lights me up so much. And the cool thing was, I started with when you asked me how things are going. My son has been home from school. He's a freshman at the University of Delaware, and he was home. He's been home for the last month or so, and I've been bringing him with me. So to to have wow. my son, who's eighteen years old, with me helping me lead meetings for young men. It's like, it's like full circle. It's like so freaking powerful, man. I like, I get so fired up thinking about like how he's able, like, like, like what if I had that when I was a, like a kid, when I was searching for what did it mean to be a man? I didn't have that. So what can I do to provide that for my son? And then these other boys that are there, like they know that there's a guy here that will fucking walk through, walk through fire for them to help them become a better man in the future. Mm. Bro, not only are you firing me up, but really just inspiring me and showing you know me what's possible with with my son, and uh, that's got to be so special to have Denny there, dude, oh, right awesome. next to you, and and him, and him just like yeah, it's what you say, but it's how you say it, and like for him to see that energy and that fire of his father, and to witness all the other boys looking at you like what a what a I mean that's really what you know elders like especially fathers and elders like what we're missing you know we're missing wise elders who are taking us through these rites of passage and modeling what it is to be a grounded loving uh leader of ourselves first and foremost and then to our family and then to our businesses so the fact that you're able to do that and especially when those retreats, because that is something that I've thought about in the back of my head uh, for for quite some time, but you know, last few years. But now it's 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 a reality. Yeah. Like to do a father and son or a boys retreat, bro, that uh, that is something special. So I can't wait to see how this unfolds, continues to unfold. And you know, I always got your back, bro. You always know you can count on me to oh, support in any way man. I can. Like, I love what you're doing, bro. And I just want to thank you for today and uh, for showing up in the way that you are, dude. I, I really learned a lot today. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, man. I really appreciate this more than any other podcast I've ever been on. I've done a hundred podcasts. This was the one I was looking to forward to more than any of them. One, because wow. I mean, I just, I hold you in such a high regard. I know it's always going to be a good time. There's going to be laughs, but I just, again, I respect so wholeheartedly what you're doing and a quick plug for what you're doing with the 
with the um, Athleticism for Life. That program is kicking my ass right now, dude. It is, <laughs> it is amazing. And I like, real quick, I just have to say, like, I look forward to the workouts in a way that like, you look forward to a cold shower. It's like, <laughs> I, they're, they're, they kick my ass. The warm-up, dude, it, the warm-up has me breathing heavy, but I love it, dude. I fucking love the program. I like even like the flexibility piece at the end. But one thing I have to say, your audience will love it if they've gone, if they've seen the program, the, the stretching in the beginning, after, you know, there's a, you know, the, the arm thing, all of a sudden you put your hands on your hips, you get into a little bit of a squat and you do the <laughs> pelvic thrust, dude. You, and I'm standing there and I'm, I have it up on the computer and I'm, I'm in the, I'm in there doing the pelvic thrust and my kids walk in and they see Mike Salemi pelvic thrusting, stretching. And I'm like, listen, this is not for you girls. Like we walk away. We're not, I'm not ready to have this conversation yet about what's going on here with this good looking Italian dude thrusting and I'm watching him and I'm copying the thrust. So I just, I just wanted to tell you that that's going on in my life on a regular basis. The, like I'm pelvic thrusting with you in the morning. So as you wake up in the morning, just know that that's happening like 3000 miles away from where you are is I'm watching you pelvic thrust and I'm mimicking your your movements. Just wanted to end oh, with that because we always have I, some kind of a fun banter at the end of our podcast. <laughs> I love that. That's still the amount of times that Lauren gives me shit because she knows no matter who I'm teaching, don't matter if it's online, in person, if I'm teaching the elderly, if I'm teaching elite athletes, uh, it is. the pelvis is always going to come along for the ride. And she's just like, do you have to? Can you just leave it out of this program? I was like, absolutely not. You know how bunched up people's hips are and their 100%. pelvises are? We are going to pelvic rock this shit and we're going to go for it. And, uh, <laughs> and for those of you that are TV, on, that are, that, uh, the, for those of you on the, on the fence, whether or not you should order the program, when Mike is doing it, he also makes eye contact the entire time. He doesn't break, <laughs> he doesn't break the gaze with you. So it makes it even more comfortable as he's staring in your eyes. Pelvic thing. <laughs> Bro, I'm locked. I, I'm. There's so many stories I could tell you. Uh, yeah, I don't even oh, want to go there. It, but yeah, I was I was 18 teaching moms who were like in their 30s, 40s, and late 40s, and every morning 6 and 7 a.m. for a long time. And uh, I was always doing the pelvic thrust, and I wondered why the classes kept growing. And uh, who you're, knows? You're the reason why there's was... a lot of 18-year-olds right now in the world. You are the reason. <laughs> the husbands are like, honey, why are you so frisky tonight? What the hell is going on? You took Salemi's class again, didn't you? All right, oh, whatever. Oh my God, I'm crying. I'm crying. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, well, dude, I'm so stoked you're enjoying the program. Brother, Thank you. And where can people, I'll put it in the show notes for sure, but give a plug of where people can find you, website, IG, all that stuff, yeah. please. Thanks, man. Uh, Building Man Podcast, once a week, it comes out. Mike Salemi has been on two times. It will be three coming up soon. Um, my website is buildingmen.io and my Instagram is building.men. I got, there's so much going on. Please reach out if I can help support a young man in your life in any way, shape or form. It's what I do. It's like, um, it's what I'm passionate about. Dude, I, I love you, man. I really, really appreciate you. This is such a blast. Love you too, brother. Thank you again. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path. And I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours. <laughs>